Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of season 2 of the Toward Light podcast. The other day I was reading a great Vox article, which I've linked to in the show notes about the arbitrary nature of food expiration dates in the U.S. and the history of that process. And when I read this quote by author and chef Tamar Adler, I knew I had my topic for this episode. She says, it's really hard to imagine you're supposed to trust your own nose and mouth. Add that to convenience culture and rapacious late-stage capitalism, and well, we're fucked. So while she's talking about knowing and trusting our senses around if our food is good or not, and the ways that we end up throwing out and wasting all of this food, I want to talk about this idea that we have abandoned trusting our own senses and living in a consumerist capitalist culture has compounded that abandonment. How can we trust and be guided by our own felt experience rather than being swept into the greed of capitalism? Before I get into the nitty-gritty, a few examples of ways that we abandon our own experience or truth. We're at a meal, we're pretty full, but then the waiter comes out and maybe shows us some desserts or brings us the menu or tells us about them. And maybe we know, oh, this restaurant has this special cake or pastry or whatever, and I want to put it on my Instagram, so I guess I'm going to order it, even though my body is full, even though my senses say we're all set. Or we're out shopping with a friend and find these really cool shoes that are really beautiful, but they're not going to feel comfortable on the feet. You try them on not going to walk much in them. They're not going to be really realistic, but you get talked into them because you're swept into the whole experience of shopping and being with your friend and wanting this new fun thing. Or you have a car and after you've had it for whatever, nine months, a year, the dealership starts sending you stuff saying, hey, you could upgrade and you know, why don't you trade your car in and get this instead. And even though this car feels safe, it's in your budget, it's working for you. Something about that consistent advertisement ends up working on you. And maybe you have one little problem with your car or something. And rather than trusting that this is a safe, good thing for you, a wise choice, you end up getting the new car, quote unquote, upgrading. So these are some ways where this culture that we live in may be affecting us, may be affecting how we make our choices. Greed is considered one of the three poisons. The poisons are greed, loba, aversion, dosa, and delusion, moha. And today I'm just going to be talking about greed, about loba. Now, greed is in our experience. It's not something we want to shame ourselves for, but it is a poison. So it is a problem, but we all have it. We all experience it. So sometimes in other religions or frameworks, it can be almost depicted like this devil or it's like this big, obvious, like, I don't know, Scrooge McDuck thing of that's what greed looks like. But actually, greed is something that exists in us all the time. 
And we need to know it so that we can deal with it. So greed is biological. Our bodies are trained to reach for pleasant and to push away unpleasant. They're trying to keep us safe. And so in the beginning, when we were transitioning from Neanderthals to Homo sapiens, like there was a real need to make sure that we were staying safe. So pleasant things like, oh, this is warm and dry. This cave is warm and dry. This is where I should be. Like greed helped us survive. But over time, as we live in safer and safer environments, we're less likely to be attacked by animals or whatever. We have more ways to stay safe and to have our basic needs met. But greed still is running the show. So while we may be fed and clothed and housed, we still are reaching for more, even though our basic needs are met. We think that that's not true. Greed is telling us that's not true. Greed can be very obvious. It can be, I want this, I want that. But greed can also be so subtle. It can be a almost imperceptible leaning of the body into that ray of sunlight, or can be that constant kind of underlying stream of thought of never being quite satisfied, of always wanting things to be a little bit different, a little bit better, a little bit warmer, a little bit cooler, a little bit sweeter, a little bit saltier. And we don't notice it because it's so ingrained in our experience. So these are the ways that greed lives in our body. And then there's this cultural piece, living in a society where we are based on buying, having, owning, creating, acquiring. It takes that biological normal process that we have and then puts a spotlight on it and enhances it. A few examples. The other day we were talking to a friend and we all have the same experience of as soon as we get to the United States, the first thing we do is go to Whole Foods. That there's something about that consumer experience that we can't get here in Mexico. And so when we come to the U.S., it's just like, oh my gosh, we've got to do that. There's like an inner drive and we joke about it and whatever. But if we, if we unpack that, if we tease that out, what that is, is we're saying that our, our lived experience isn't enough, that we want something else. We're saying this thing that's available there is better or takes better care of us or something. Another example of what we can look at culturally around compounding greed is with advertisement, right? Like the prevalence, when I pulled up that Vox article to pull that quote for this episode, there's a car ad running and it doesn't stop. Like it's a video, it just keeps going. Or when I go log on to YouTube to do my workout and first I've got to watch a video about some kind of soda or whatever. And it just happens all the time. And we don't even notice it because it's the water we swim in. Capitalism is the water we swim in. So we need to be aware of that. So we've got this biological basis for greed. Then we have cultural stuff. So how do we check greed? How do we know when we're reaching for something out of wisdom or out of greed? How do we combat the cultural pressure of capitalism? First thing is mindfulness. 
We can't trust our experience if we don't know our experience. So we need to bring mindfulness. We need to check in with our six sense doors, the five senses, and then also the mind. We need to get to know what do our senses feel like? How do we know when we're smelling something? How do we know when we're thinking something? How do we know when we're tasting something? We need to know what does greed feel like? When we practice mindfulness meditation, we can bring our attention to greed for a sitting period or for multiple sitting periods and just get to know what's that feeling in the body. For me, greed is a lot about leaning forward. There's a real like posture shift and sometimes it's very subtle and often it's my head sort of moving in front of my body. Sometimes there's a grasping in the fist or in the muscles of trying to hold on to. We all have different experiences of greed, but it's important to get to know what's yours. What's your experience of greed? What does it feel like in your body? Because you need to know that before you can combat that. And when we practice mindfulness, we can get to know, let's say we're tracking our thoughts. Let's say we're doing the third foundation of mindfulness and we're tracking our thoughts and we can start to see oh, this is like a natural occurring thought of mine. Like, hmm, hunger, I'm hungry. But then we notice the cultural messaging around, oh, and I want to buy this, or I want to get that, or I'm going to prepare this, or, oh, I saw that thing on that show, and I want to make that. We can see like what's culture and what's our true experience. We can get to know, we can tease out the different voices. We can get to know our true voice that lets us know what we truly need and doesn't take into account the rest of the culture. A second way we can combat this cultural pressure of of capitalism, of greed, is that we can cultivate generosity. Generosity is the opposite of greed. The Pali word is dana. So we normalize giving over getting. We spend our energy looking at what are ways we can let go or share rather than hold on to or obtain. Sharon Salzberg says, generosity has power because it is characterized by the inner quality of letting go or relinquishing. So we're cultivating renunciation. We're cultivating this letting go. And we can do generous things spontaneously. We can practice generosity in our mind. When we see people, we can make mental positive comments about them. We can, we can give them positive comments, positive feedback. We can share things with people. We can also make generosity a habit. Oh, if I buy something, I'm going to give something away. Oh, or for, if I buy something, I'm going to give two things away. Or I'm going to every week go be of service in this way or go donate in this way. So we we get to learn how do we give? How do we let go? How do we cultivate generosity in ways that work for us so that we can like flex this muscle, this opposite of greed? If we're experiencing, if we're practicing generosity, then we can't be greedy in that moment. So the more we do it, the more we're combating the greed. We can also bring in some wisdom practices. 
So we can look at this idea of karma, of cause and effect, that every action has a reaction, right? So if I buy this thing in this plastic packaging, that packaging is going to end up in a landfill forever. I can watch videos about how consumerism affects the environment. I can see these photos of these birds that have eaten all this plastic. Like I can, I can train myself. I can learn. I can become wise about how my consumerism affects those around me. And I can see how that karma will affect me and those around me and the world going forward. There's also a practice called Asuba practice, which is practices when we're looking at sort of the unbeautiful nature of things where we're really saying, okay, the greed is telling me that everything is shiny and beautiful and exciting and I want it, I want it, I want it. However, the truth is that that shirt is just a collection of threads dyed that was made by somebody's hand. And so we can imagine the process. We can take apart the process. A suba practice is often talked about with the body, right? Of Rather than seeing the body as this beautiful thing, we see it as a collection of muscles and pus and blood and guts and feces and whatever. And so when we take things apart in that way, we take away our rose-colored glasses. We see things just as they are. At the end of the day, I love my blue couch, but it's just a couch. It's just fabric. It's just cotton. It's just wood. It's just a couch. And so I can idealize it and I can make it into this thing that I have to have, or I can see it for what it is as its parts and its pieces, and I can see if it's worth holding on to or if it's makes sense to be generous and give it somewhere else. The final way that we can combat greed is mudita or appreciative joy, which is one of the four Brahma Viharas, one of the four divine abodes of the heart. And appreciative joy is traditionally cultivated by seeing somebody else experiencing something positive and celebrating that in that. Appreciative joy combats jealousy. So, so often when people that, even people we love and really care about when they get the new car, get the promotion or have the baby, we can have an experience of jealousy. We can have an experience of, well, why don't I have that? Or I want that. And again, like that's biological, that's a normal sort of process, but then it's compounded by this culture and this society that we live in. So we need to combat that by bringing this quality of appreciation of, oh, I'm happy for you, or may your happiness continue. Ruth King says, extending appreciation is an act of peace. When my friend gets into the training that I did not get into, and I'm happy for them, I'm, I'm extending peace. I'm not holding on to animosity. And I'm not grasping for something that I thought I wanted. So appreciative joy combats jealousy, it combats greed. And so, like I said, traditionally, this is about other people. But we can also bring appreciation into our own lives and to notice what we do have and really appreciate and honor that. 
notice that our our senses notice that our body is being taken care of notice that we're safe in those moments that we're safe notice that we're fed in those moments that we're fed really getting clear and appreciating what we do have revisiting this quote from tamar adler it's really hard to imagine you're supposed to trust your own nose and mouth add that to convenience culture and rapacious late stage capitalism and well we're fucked so in order to get unfucked we can be mindful and generous we can be wise and understand the consequences of our actions and we can bring an attitude of appreciation thank you for listening please check out any links in the show notes you can find me on my website towardlight.net or on instagram at towardlight108